welcome to this week's episode of Everything Under the Sun, a weekly podcast answering all the most pressing questions children around the world have about life on Earth. My name is Molly and today I have three questions. Our first is from Ray. Here she is. My name is Ray. I'm eight years old and I live in Kent. My favourite things are slime, books and animals. My question is, why do we fart? Well, Ray, this is a great question. Every human being has bacteria in their gut, which helps our body to break down and digest the food we eat. As part of this process, sometimes the bacteria in our tummies makes gas as it's working, which has to come out of our body somehow, either as a burp or more often as a fart. Other farts come from swallowed air, which we take in as we eat, especially if we're eating quickly. Some come out silently, others make a loud noise which comes from the muscles in your bottom vibrating when the gas comes shooting out. A fart is made up of nitrogen, hydrogen, methane and carbon dioxide. The hydrogen and methane gases mean they can be set on fire if you light them. But I wouldn't try it yourself. In case you were wondering about whether other animals fart, lots of scientists contributed their research on Twitter with the hashtag, hashtag doesitfart. These scientists have said that dogs do, as anyone who has a dog at home will know, Snakes and millipedes do, and dinosaurs probably did. Birds, on the other hand, do not, but they could if they wanted to. Crabs and oysters don't fart, and neither do octopuses or sea anemones. Wood lice don't fart from their bottom, but they do excrete a waste product they don't need called ammonia through their bodies, doing a sort of kind of fart that can last an hour at a time. Some fish fart. Herrings are little saltwater fish and they fart to communicate with one another. This helps them keep together in a shoal, even when it's dark. It seems that all mammals fart, except for sloths. Sloths eat a lot of plants, so you'd expect them to, but they have very slow digestion and only poo about once every three weeks. So if they waited for three weeks to fart, they might be in danger of popping. The gas inside them instead gets reabsorbed back into their bloodstream, into their lungs, and they breathe it back out. Other than that, as far as we know, all other mammals fart. Chimpanzees fart more when they eat fruit rather than leaves, and eating figs makes them fart the most. Even mammals that live underwater, like whales, can fart. You can see bubbles coming out of their bottoms and rising up to the surface of the water when they do. If you want to know more about animals and their farting, all the material that turn up on Twitter with that hashtag and more has been put into a book called Does It Fart by Nick Caruso and Danny Rabayotti. I hope I pronounced that right. Now cows are getting into trouble for farting. They burp and fart around 100 to 200 kilograms of methane a year each, which is a big problem for global warming. Methane is a greenhouse gas that heats up our planet. Feeding cows garlic could be one way to reduce the amount of gas they make. But the best way to help is to eat less meat, or even no red meat, so that there are less cows farmed for meat and less cow farts heating up the planet. One way to stop yourself eating a hamburger, if you really like them, is to think how many cow farts filled the air to make your juicy burger. Yuck! Termites are also contributing to global warming in the same way. Each termite only farts about a microgram of methane gas a day, but each colony has millions of termites in it, so it all adds up to between 5 to 19% of global methane emissions a year. Did you know the word fart means speed in Danish? That explains why there are road signs in Denmark that say fart control. This sign means speed restriction area. 
if you get into a lift in Denmark, you might need to press the button that says, I fart. That's because that sign means lift going up or down. Just in case you ever need to know, the Danish word for fart is prut. I hope that answers your question, Ray. If you have a question you would like answered, all you have to do is ask an adult to help you. Just use the Voice Memo app on their phone to record yourself saying your name, your age, and a bit about yourself, and then ask me your question and email it in to me at molly at everythingunderthesun.co.uk. And don't forget to ask all your friends to listen to the show and send in their questions. So our next question is also about wind, but a much bigger type of wind. Over to Maya. So I'm Maya and I'm five years old. I live in Switzerland and I like to read The Wizard of Oz. And my question is where tornadoes come from? Thanks, Maya. I love The Wizard of Oz. Isn't it crazy when the tornado comes and blows Dorothy and her dog Toto far away from her home in Kansas into a world of adventure? No wonder you want to know where tornadoes come from. Well, to help you with this question, I asked Chris Chittock to tell us what he knows. Chris is a storm chaser. He likes to go in search of extreme weather and then film what he sees. He's filmed blizzards, hurricanes and, of course, tornadoes. Over to Chris. Hey, this is Chris Chittick from the hit TV show Tornado Hunters. And that is a great question, Maya. Tornadoes come from what we call storm systems. In order to get a good storm system, it's kind of like baking a cake. So in order to bake a good cake, you need all these different ingredients all come together at once. And so that's exactly the same in order to get a good storm system. You need cold, dry air coming down from the north usually. You have warm, moist air coming up from the south and then warm, dry air usually coming from the west. And once all those ingredients combine, that creates our storm system. And that storm system is what we can chase after. And maybe you might even have a tornado pop out of that. We find tornadoes by simply looking at different weather models. There's these big supercomputers that pump out all the weather models across the world. We look at that, it's like a big puzzle. And then we kind of put the puzzle together and we'll know about three, four days in advance, kind of a general area of where we're gonna be chasing. And then it gets closer and closer to the actual chase day, that area becomes a lot more pinpoint. So then we'll be chasing all the different storms. Once we see one that has the characteristics of dropping a tornado, we'll stick with that storm. And then hopefully we'll start seeing a tornado. When we see a tornado, what we do is we'll start taking photographs and video of it. So my goal is pretty much what I see when I'm chasing, when I see a tornado on the ground, is to capture that through my camera and to share that with the world. Hope that helps. Thanks so much, Chris. Good luck and keep safe chasing tornadoes. If you guys want to find out more about Chris and the work he does, his website is tornadohunter.com. I hope that answers your question, Maya. If you have a question you would like answered, all you have to do is ask an adult to help you. Just record yourself saying your name, your age, where you live and a bit about yourself using the Voice Memo app on your parents' phone and then ask me your question. Then email it in to me at molly at everythingunderthesun.co.uk. On to our final question, which comes from Amelia. She wants to know about nettles. Hi, my name's Amelia. I'm from Yorkshire. I'm 10 and I like cats and 
climbing. My question is, how do nettles sting and what do they sting with? Hi, Amelia. Great question. Isn't it sore when nettles sting you? They really do hurt. But how does a nettle leaf sting you? Well, the leaves of nettles are covered in tiny hairs. When you brush against the leaf of a nettle, the tips of these hairs break off and they stick into your skin like a tiny needle. Then they inject venom into your body. The venom is made up of nasty chemicals that cause stings that hurt and they sometimes make little bumps on your skin. However, if you're really brave and pinch a nettle leaf with your fingers, making sure to crush the hairs on the leaf down, then you can touch a nettle without getting stung. The first thing most of us do if we get stung is look for a dock leaf, which is supposed to make the sting go away. It's not been scientifically proven how this works. It could just be that rubbing the cool leaf onto your sting means you're distracted from thinking about how much the nettle sting hurts you, and so it might just work in that way. Nettles sting to protect themselves from being eaten by animals. Cows don't like to eat them because they'll get a sore mouth from eating them. Only goats and hungry sheep are brave enough to gobble up a patch of nettles. However, lots of species of butterfly need nettles in their life. They make great food for caterpillars before they hatch into butterflies. Humans can also eat nettles when they're cooked. They lose their sting then and they taste like spinach. And they're very good for you. There is a World Nettle Eating Championship every year in Dorset, where people compete to eat as many stinging nettles as they can in one hour. The contestants say it's actually not that painful. All you feel is a stinging around your mouth. Although some people's tongues turn black from all the nettle juice. I hope that answers your question, Amelia. Last week, I asked you to send in your favourite thing you had ever seen in a museum for a chance to win a family ticket to Life in the Dark at the Natural History Museum. This is my favourite answer I got sent in, and it's from Matilda. Hello, Molly. My name is Matilda. I am five years old, and I like playing hide-and-seek with my sister. My favourite thing at the Natural History Museum is the dodo because I read about them in stories, but I have never been able to see one before because they are extinct. Bye! Congratulations, Matilda! I also loved your sister Tabitha's answer too, so I hope you both have a lovely time at the Natural History Museum with your family. Don't forget to send me a picture of your trip. Enjoy! Big thanks to Ray, Maya and Amelia for this week's questions, and to the Natural History Museum for their tickets to Life in the Dark, which were won by Matilda. I'd also like to thank Chris Chittick from Tornado Hunters for telling us all about how tornadoes form and how he finds them. You can find him on Twitter at at @chittickchris. Thanks also to Ash Gardner at House of Strange for the theme music, Billy Colours for the logo, and to Audio Networks for all the lovely incidental music we heard this week. That's it for this week. I'll be back next week answering more questions from children around the world in another episode of Everything Under the Sun. If you have a question you would like answered, all you have to do is ask an adult to help you record yourself saying your name, your age, where you live and a bit about yourself. And then ask me your question. And email it in to me at molly at everythingunderthesun.co.uk Don't forget to ask all your friends and your friends' parents to listen to the show, to subscribe to it and to send in all of their questions about everything under the sun. Have a great week. Thank you and goodbye. (laughs)